The Offsite Podcast is presented by Offsite Consulting, offering financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Find Offsite on the web at auphsite.com. It's the Offsite Podcast, Episode 5. Joe Taylor Jr. joined by Darnell Suleiman from Benjamin's Desk in Philadelphia. How's hey, it how going? Doing? I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year also. <laughs> we'll pull the curtain back. It's really December, but this is going to air in January, so you may occasionally hear little jingle bells and, and such from outside. But uh, all through December, we spent the time talking about what startup owners, owner operators, small business owners can actually do to optimize their organization. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to dive a little bit deeper and talk about how you can make the leap between being self-employed to being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And Darnell, you've called it an owner in the past. So tell me Mm -hmm. a little bit about your idea of the distinction between being self-employed, being a real entrepreneur. Okay, um, so you know, when... It is interesting because I asked someone today about, um, they said they want to be an entrepreneur. I said, hmm, I said, you know, how do you define that? And and he said, you know, I'll have my own company and I'll service people. And it was interesting because I, I, I think many of us believe we're entrepreneurs because we have uh, clients. We may have 20 clients. We're getting paid. And we're, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're able to live uh, the lifestyle we desire through through the work we perform or the, the people, you know, we uh, service. But that just simply means you're self-employed and you know how to hustle, go grab some money. Uh, when when I think of uh, of the entrepreneur, I think of someone who uh, sees an opportunity in a market, uh, want to they uh, get involved in a market, and they. Uh, Try to capitalize, get all the invest opportunities that you know that exist in a market, and, and and having the ability to do that, you must expand, and then jump out the market and find something else to do. So you know, with with the distinction is uh, between the self-employed and the entrepreneur is around: Are you in the business of expansion? And as an owner or a stakeholder, your focus is on uh, gaining market share. That's a great point. And we've got a link to an article in the show notes from Chris Kensiolosi from Gotham Culture. It's a workplace consulting firm. And the article echoes what you've said. Uh, he interviewed Dr. Randy Blass from Florida State University. And Dr. Blass defines it this way. A self-employed person takes on as much client work as they can handle. An entrepreneur dedicates the majority of their energy to growth. And so the question that Dr. Blass likes to ask is, do you want to personally deliver your services to clients forever? So Darnell, how do you shift from delivering services to developing a workflow or a process that's repeatable, that's sustainable? How do you go about that? Uh, for me, in, in, in the accounting or consulting world, uh, first, first thing I would say is, is, is hiring those assets and, and, and being able to, to delineate or separate what things can be outsourced, what things can be done internally. You know, so and, and even with that, with that said, uh, you know, things such as human resources, which is a cultural thing when it comes to not so much sales. It, 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 it may, sales is one of those things that all depends. Uh, but you want to make sure that the person reflects your interest and in how you would engage the client. Uh, so, you know, 
with me, what what I did first was I was able, I was, you know, a single man guy, just me handling all the work myself. And first thing I did was get ad hoc people. People are, when I mean, they're 1099 people. I need you to do a project for me. And they're, you know, they do not, they don't come in the office. They work remotely. And I begin to separate the duties. My job was focused on, on clients, getting the sales in, then sending the work out. Uh, now what's happening is uh, I'm seeing the revenue numbers come up. So now I have to make another decision of expansion. I had to get more office space. Um, I really can't say, because some people say, you know, did you have a business plan? Did you have a, a, a flow of how, you know, you're, you were going to uh, lay, put this all together? I really can't say that. I'm a Philly hustler. <laughs> so <laughs> see, Joe knows what that means. <laughs> so those people from Philly, New York, Brooklyn, they, they, they get that. And that's not to say over in Silicon Valley, they don't get it too. But, well, that's yeah. a great point, because in Silicon Valley, their version of hustling is what they call agile. Right. So if you've ever heard the phrase agile development, it sounds a lot to me growing up in Darby out on the border of Southwest Philly, like what we used to do when we were kids, which was figure out like, what do we sell today and what do we need to sell tomorrow and what can we get our hands on? Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea of agile is that you might have a an overarching master plan, but you break it down into sprints that are a week or two apiece. And every two weeks, you decide if the master plan is still the right direction. You know, you can, you can change it up a little bit. Interesting. So we see this great shift, and uh, books like The Lean Startup mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, have really popularized this notion of sure, have your five-year, three-year, one-year plan mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like folks from SCORE have urged people to do for decades. Okay, But okay. within your one-year plan, depending on opportunities that come up, depending on what happens, you may have to shift gears and, and iterate a little bit differently from yeah. month to month. Yes. Right? I mean, one, one case here, and this distinction that you've brought up and that Dr. Blass mentions is the idea that you're focusing on growth as opposed to service delivery. So in your case, that was finding what you just called ad hoc personnel. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's so correct. that allowed you to flex the organization mm -hmm. to fit whatever a client brought it, to you. Exactly. And be able to adjust the opportunities when they come. And I did not have to have people on the books that were, that were just sitting around, you know, uh, <laughs> doing... <laughs> Opening mail. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the fear that a lot of business yeah. owners have. You know, we've talked in previous episodes about folks that get into startup culture mm -hmm. or small business culture because they want a lifestyle. They want to be the boss, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And then that's fun and everything for the first few weeks. And then you get to the point where if a project gets slow mm -hmm. and you have that person that you have to figure out, okay, I've committed to have this person full time. Mm -hmm. What do they do if there's a slowdown? Yeah. And, and our culture has really embraced the idea of freelancers and flexible workers and people that are yes. not just accepting of that, but actually embracing yes. that. We'll talk a little more in the second segment mm -hmm. about the, that shift in culture and how that flexibility mm -hmm. in talent gives us more to work with. Mm -hmm. But one of the other things that Dr. Blast calls out is making sure as an owner, you've got to identify the skills that you need to effectively run the business yeah. and be willing to train and adapt yourself 
to flex into the changing needs that leadership in your own organization mm-hmm. is going to require. Yeah. So what are some resources? What have you found valuable to just continually develop yourself professionally? When I started off, uh, and this is not, again, a shout out to Apple, but if you want to send a check, feel free. I constantly went to uh, workshops at Apple, hopefully have, have had. And in short, learn to study on your own. Study not just your, you know, uh, I'm an accountant, so I'm not, I'm not just going to use AICPA as a resource. When I'm engaging my clients, I'm not just trying to solve their accounting needs, but to also anticipate other opportunities that I can engage them in, such as how business development and expansion. And so uh, what I, I developed a mindset of read, read material or periodicals or uh, get into networking groups that can kind of uh, sprout or grow uh, from my core uh, business, which is accounting to business development to also putting in tech and using uh, putting in, uh, te- technology installations such as shopkeeping, things like that. Uh, so, you know, like one, as you know, I love reading a Harvard Business Review. I read Financial Times. I read the local paper, the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, but I'm reading these periodicals for different reasons, and I'm trying to gain a better understanding of the market I'm seeking to serve. And a lot of that success, I think, comes from ingesting all that information with a filter for how it impacts your customers. That is correct. How it can impact your business. I know one of the most powerful networking tools that I've used has been reading a bunch of stuff and then sending out links to clients or to prospects hmm. that are not promotional. It's yeah. not It's not saying, here's a reason why you should hire us. It's, hey, we had a great conversation. I remember that conversation. Mm-hmm. Here's a link to something I think you would find useful. Yeah. And yeah. it's just that, that notion that you are continuing to act as a curator, an aggregator yeah. of all of this yeah. information. I mean, we have no shortage of information. Yeah podcasts, articles, <laughs> periodicals of all kinds, but it's now having that filter of knowing what's the right information, mm-hmm. what's the right context in which somebody can really use it, yes. and when does it matter to, to know that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think there's, there's some value in having a part of the day set aside where you're just ingesting that information, yeah. and some of it might not do anything for you right now, but you never know when you're going to be in a conversation with somebody and you'll say, oh, actually, I know mm-hmm. of an article that covers exactly the kind of thing that you're just talking about. Yeah. Let me find it And that's normally how it happens. Absolutely. It's, it's not immediate. It's, and, and, and I think, you know, we want to stress to people that it's not, it's, this is not so much for an immediate, you're, we're not looking, seeking an immediate return on self-study. Mm-hmm. What this is, is, is to help create better human capital within ourselves as the business uh, owners and we're seeking a benefit maybe seven months to a year down the road. 
And that's a huge distinction between what we've seen, especially in the business world up until now, which has been a focus on formal education and degree programs. Mm -hmm. And I know that you and I have both talked to folks that we've been thinking of hiring that may have come through schools with MBAs and, and the MBAs in certain cases seem outdated halfway through the program. Yeah. So, so one of the things, even with a solid MBA under your belt, you still have to have that mindset of knowing that there's always something new to learn. There's always something that you're going to have to be able to grow. The MBA is, I, I was doing an interview the, uh, two days ago and a gentleman, I said, he, he's, he has his MBA, bright young man. I said, you got to remember, we're still hustlers. I said, the wolf on Wall Street is real. <laughs> you know, and not to use it like that, but there are men, they're, they're good at coming to a market, understanding it, doing some quick research, and going out there. And, so, and I think there's, there's, and this has been, you know, you always hear a lot of uh, people talk about the, the, the lack of, there's no connection between what's happening, the dynamics of real world experience as a, for the entrepreneur and the business schools. And, and, and we see the business schools you know, now having entrepreneurship programs. I'm not so sure the legitimacy. Mm. <laughs> the question is, are businessmen made or are they naturally that way when they're young? I think there's a recognition that there's a set of there, there are experiences that you go through as a business owner that <laughs> no one can teach you. <laughs> I talked That's to right. a client the other day who That's defined right. it this way. The first time, how you know you're a business owner is when you are at the Home Depot and your credit card gets declined. Yeah. And you know that it's because that you just racked up a whole bunch of charges right. in a row for a project that you're working on or that you had to float some money from one account to the other and just hasn't yes. quite made it to Visa yet, yes. right? Yes, <laughs> so like that's, all, that's, that's definitely it. We've all, we've all been there and, and that's a very different yeah. experience compared to someone telling you in a class to monitor your cash flow. Um, no, there's, you know, there, we, 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 <laughs> entrepreneurs know what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and that's the, I think the thing that makes people a little nervous or scared, um, you know, we're talking about risk in the next mm -hmm. episode, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, we'll have a whole episode just about risk, risk but that's yeah. one of the things that, uh, really is hard to actually teach mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you, you, until you get that feeling in your gut of this might not work yeah, and you're laying things on the line, that's, that's the moment at which you really know that you're cut out for this. Yeah. It, it, and last, you know, when I remember when I got my first office, dude, I had probably 2200 in the bank, if that much. And 555 was a rent, a closet. And I said, yeah, how am I going to pull this off? But you know, and I, and you know, I don't want to sound magical, but you kind of know inside, I'm going to pull this off, but I'm going to sweat. And that's, and, and those of us who have been entrepreneurs, we, we, we get it. Or when you know you have no money in a bank and none of your clients are calling you, but you do not see yourself going back to the man. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, we're going to make this work. We're going to find a way to make this work. That's exactly so, yeah. what happens. 
Well, we're going to take a little break and remind you that Offsite Consulting provides financial consulting programs for small business owners and nonprofit leaders. Darnell and his team manage vendors, reconcile bank accounts, they handle tax filings, and they help clients focus on long-term revenue growth and tax minimization. You can find Offsite on the web A-U-P-H-S-I-T-E dot com. So our second segment, we wanted to focus a little bit. Now we have a good definition Mm -hmm. of what's an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. versus someone who's just a freelancer or self-employed. Doesn't negate the experience of being a freelancer because there are plenty of people who are amazing that just want to deliver a service. But if you really want to focus on growth, you have to figure out how to not do everything yourself. Yeah. Okay. So one of my favorite games that I will play with clients that I'm coaching or mentoring is start, stop, continue. And the game is think about things. We usually do this. We'll put, you know, sheets on the wall. This is good to do with teams. Okay. Okay. You put a couple sheets on the wall. One that says start, one that says stop, one that says continue. And you tell people what are the things that our organization is doing that we need to start doing what do we need to stop doing and what do we need to continue doing? Got you. And it allows you to call out things that maybe have been bubbling under. This is good I like to do that. when a team, you know, when you go from being a solo yeah. entrepreneur to having, say, a team of four or mm-hmm. five. And everyone's going to have their own opinion from a different angle. Like mm-hmm. the person that you brought in to do a specific task is going to look at the business through their filter. Yeah. That you, yeah. you may not know that they're frustrated that this thing goes this way all the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but they may not have figured out how to tell you that. This is, yeah. a, good, you know, this is a good way to do it. I like that. So um, James Ritchie from the Philadelphia Business Journal compiled a whole big list of things that small business owners can start, stop, and continue doing. Mm-hmm. We've put a list of these in the show notes at offsite.com slash podcast. Um, what James says... Start, keep doing sales management. This is the hustling piece. This is the thing that I I talk to folks who are business owners. I see this a lot with creative people, Mm -hmm. uh, folks that are designers, developers, and they've never really been exposed to the sales process. Yeah, yeah. And so they'll say, you know, it seems like that's something that I should outsource. And what you end up with is is you could hire an account rep or an account executive. And that's where there's a whole subculture of sales folks that are amazed. They'll sell anything. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you and I both know folks like this. They can sell anything. (laughs) And yet the challenge there is they don't necessarily know your market or know how to showcase what you do that's different. Yeah. So, So one thing that James says... Experts say, keep doing that sales management, which is figure out how you're going to identify your market, how to sell yourself with your unique Mm -hmm. selling principle, Mm -hmm. and uh, how you're going to be unafraid to show up in front of customers. Yeah. Because right now you do all your own sales calls, right? My own sales calls. And, 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 Cause I'm not sure, th- but if I bring someone in, what's going to come out their mouth? That's that, you know, if y'all don't know, you know, uh, 85% of my clients are maybe under federal investigation <laughs> or, or, you know, you know, there, there are some areas of suspicion, you know, you know, now, you know, we're getting to the financial services side where we're handling all the finances, but 
you know, if I'm sending someone out there, a sales guy, it's, it's very tech. You have to be very cautious. So tell me, you know, what's going on? And yeah. And there's yeah. also a sense It's a relationship that, building. Yeah. You have to build that relationship. I mean, you, you inhabit this very unique space because a big chunk of your business is solving very complex problems yes. for clients because they are facing some kind of scrutiny. They're turning to you because with nothing but positive intent, mm-hmm. they want to figure this out. That's right. And, That's right. And in most cases, it seems like when you get the IRS or the feds involved, mm-hmm. most of the time people just want to get stuff ready rectified. That's right. Doesn't That's seem, correct. You know, it's it's not like there's a lot of mm-hmm. folks that are just crusading to put nonprofit leaders no, behind no, bars. No, 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 that's not the case. <laughs> That's so, not the case. But but this is the piece where you're called in because you can speak the language on mm-hmm. both sides. On both sides, yeah. And and show up with the integrity to say this is what I see happened. Mm-hmm. This is how we rectify it. Yeah. Now you all can go into a room and figure this thing out. Mm-hmm. And then on the back end of that, your oversight will make sure that that doesn't happen again for and, a client. And, and that's true. And, and, what, and, what, and what often happens is there, you know, I, I'm aware that something happened. Getting, having a client or the potential client feel comfortable to open up. It could be you having the ability to read into what will make them relaxed. And it's not simply saying, hey, let's go to dinner. It's, I actually had one client invited me to his home. He did not want to talk in his school. Went to his home, and um, he still didn't open up. It was once he f- learned that I was associated with a fraternity, the guard dropped. Mm-hmm. Then and and that's the connection that allowed him to open up, and that's the piece that you really can't outsource. Yeah, right? because you can't. no no matter of you know, and we'll frame it up this way. You know, at a certain point when mm-hmm. your company gets to a very large scale, mm-hmm. then sure, you'll you operationally you'll have to do this. But and I will be very careful. Yeah, you know, and the hand picking of these people. But but every you know, we both work with folks at very large law firms, mm-hmm. and the great example in those cases are what they call rainmakers. The mm-hmm. idea that you might have an amazing litigator, mm-hmm. but that litigator is still probably spending twenty percent of her time mm-hmm. doing you know new client calls, yeah. doing presentations yeah. because yeah. they have that ability to say, yeah, I can deliver. On the you know, the other eighty percent of what I do is delivering the service or structuring the service to be delivered. That's right. But that twenty percent that provides the most value in that moment is that ability to root out. Hey, are we a fit? Mm-hmm. Like, are you? Is what? Can we solve your problem? Will you fit with my people? Yeah. Will my people do it? Do right by you? Yeah. That's the evaluation that an entrepreneur and has st- to and make. I'm lear- and, and I'm learning. I had a client. Um, we had started engaging in May, and we're. Six, you know, seven months ago. Now we're just getting into signing a contract. And we have to, you know, as an entrepreneur, a business owner, we have to really understand the culture of an organization and just talk, mm-hmm. talk, you know. And even after you send them your proposal, they're, they, they're going to have anxieties and communicate to them. Here's why, here's my suggestions, you know, then they'll, you know, the guard will come down and they'll, they'll normally they'll sign and agree and say, okay, but 
sales sales is one of those things where 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 it's in because we're not you know we're not selling and I'm not knocking people with cell phones on the street so <laughs> whereas hey you want to buy a phone you know uh, but ours is very personal and with with my business um, people also feel that and they want to know if I'm judging them because mm. I you know one of the, one uh, one of my friends once said this to me he said if I let you I said hey let me do your work let me help you do your taxes and I and and I didn't realize this because I was I was 20. Three, he said, if I let you do my business taxes, you'll really learn more about me than I want you to know. Mm-hmm. And I said, and now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, that is, we've touched on this before, but in America, that's a level of intimacy that's mm-hmm. deeper than in some cases physical. Yeah. Because plenty, <laughs> plenty of people yeah. that will let you do things yeah, with, physical. with them, but don't look at the money. Do not look at the checkbook. That you is, can see everything this is else. True. This is true. And, and, and it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a real quirk because when I've traveled to other countries and, and folks have had varying degrees of, oh yeah, I put everything out in the open. Yeah. Um, America, we don't like talking about money. Yeah. And and that segues into the next piece of things mm-hmm. that we need to do as entrepreneurs and leaders is the talent development piece. And the combination there is figuring out both the you know the fit cultural fit are you going to fit in our culture are you mm-hmm. going to move our culture forward and also the compensation and mm-hmm. is what i'm paying this new person fair for mm-hmm. them fair for us yeah. is it win win uh, or do you get into trouble if you start trying to squeeze one of those ends a little too too far or mm-hmm. too hard and again because we're so reluctant to talk about money mm-hmm. in America, mm-hmm. you end up with really odd things that people end up doing, trying to figure out just what to pay yeah. a new yeah. hire. So for, for talent development, what resources, what's working for you in terms of, as you're scaling the organization, you've been bringing people in, mm-hmm. what, you know, what do you look for in a cultural fit for your organization? You know, I, I was asked that question Monday in my interview with this gentleman, and and I immediately said, drive. Nothing, not to me, nothing makes me say I want to work with you, partner with you, than me having the ability to see your drive. Competency is good, but you and I have both seen people who are, you know, they're competent. But when we look at their drive, we're saying, oh, wow, you know, you're, you're good at this, but you have no drive because I have you here to expand my company. I don't have you here for no other reason but to expand my company, and I have no problem telling them if I if I'm bringing X amount of dollars, I expect you to bring in this percentage of that from the door. Um, also, I'm looking for stability now or a mixture. I just it's interesting because I just I did three interviews. And I think I'm gonna do all three hires and they're all fathers and that was that really blew me away that they were all fathers or married and there's a level of stability. Mm-hmm. It's not to say young people don't have that, but one gentleman he has um he has a family family, you know, as we we're talking back in the 80s family family. More than more than three. Yeah. And but I seen his drive and also what kind of uh, me really have a lean into him was he was aware of his limitations 
in the current uh, 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 career of his current career path. And but that made me say, oh, I could work with him because mm-hmm. if you're able to discover and understand your own limitations, and 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 he was able to show me how he was able to make decisions even in his education to 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 adapt to other markets. So you know. But drive, uh, I'm looking for some family stability. I'm looking for people. Uh, and it's interesting because I'll sit back thinking about these, these. this is such a diverse group of men. I, I mean, from the Republican surfer guy, I know. I, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm wrapping my head around this, to the guy who is, look like he just came from the pump and iron with, you know, Joe's tattoo on his neck. But he's brilliant in IT. To the guy who's, I'm a new father. And I said, look at this. I said, I'm, I'm waiting to see how this is going to play out. Mm-hmm. But what I saw in them was I needed this diversity. Because also I had to realize that you can't, you have to pick the person who can serve that particular, not just activity you're trying to have them perform, but the, the market they're after or the person they're after, the service they're after. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and I think what we may get up caught up in as business entrepreneurs or business owners, managers, operators, we have this block. This person has to be this, has to be this. So the idea here is that you're looking for folks that will move your culture forward in different directions, which gives you the flexibility to be able to mirror what your clients That's are correct. looking for. That is correct. So a uh, couple of things that this article from James Ritchie in the Philadelphia Business Journal said, stop doing, you know, things entrepreneurs shouldn't do themselves. And it sounds like uh, things we've talked about in previous episodes, stop doing your own accounting. Yes. Stop doing your own payroll. Yes. And stop <laughs> doing what James calls transactional human resources. Yes. So where do you think the resistance comes from? Why do you think entrepreneurs hold on to all, all of those things for as long as they do? I, I have to stop being cheap. I, I, stop being cheap. I, I don't even think it's a thing. It, it, I think as an entrepreneur, we, we get caught up in I can do it better in-house. And how much is, is it going to cost me? You have to really weigh, measure that the time it takes for you to understand the laws of human resource, <laughs> human resources, the laws and regulations centered around uh, just financial reporting, let alone the you know regulation side, you know reporting to the tax authorities. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to be, to how much is it going to cost me, and 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 that's where it's it's the job of uh, the professional service person to say here here here's the cost benefit of utilizing me. It seems that that the big thing for many entrepreneurs, and there's almost a um, a little bit of. Uh, maybe not an irony in some of this, but d- definitely a disconnect because y- you'll say that we've got entrepreneurs who, if they're service providers, are uh, had, they've crossed that line from frugal, which is acceptable to being cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, being a cheap, <laughs> okay, cheap excuse gig, me, right? <laughs> Nothing wrong with frugal, yeah. but when you're cheap, you know, the implication yeah. is that you're like really look, you're you're pinching pennies and yes. missing dollars, right? Yes. Um, what's funny to me when I observe 
folks at, say, a, a networking event. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everybody's playing their cards very close to the table. And mm-hmm. someone's saying, oh, I provide this service. And someone else says, I provide that service. And those two people, from a distance, I can say, they should work together. Yeah. They hired each other to do yeah. their thing. Yeah. They'll both thrive. But- as you pointed out, if they're if they're not doing a good job of showing how much more value they add for that yeah. cost, they'll both just sit there at that table, insist that the other is too expensive, and neither of them moves their business and, and, forward. And there is the entrepreneur is unaware because because immediately they, oh god, immediately they see costs and. Um, God, I just lost a dag on idea. Dag, I'm getting the agent. Okay, I'll get it later. If it comes. <laughs> we'll come back to yeah. it. Okay, we'll make a note on that one. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna round out the show today in our third segment with uh, an interview from Donna Harris, Startup America Partnership, told the Philadelphia Business Journal. There's basically three ways that you can go as an entrepreneur. Um, one. You can pursue the wrong opportunity at the wrong time. That's right. Two, you can pursue the right opportunity at the wrong time. And number three, pursue the right opportunity at the right time. That's right. Okay? So uh, a lot of what we're all learning to do is to make sure that we've lined up the opportunities that are right for us with the opportunities that are right for our target Clients. That's right. Okay. So, with all that in mind, it's the beginning of a new year. We, I'm sure, have a number of listeners who have uh, dialed us up because they are thinking about not working for the man anymore, <laughs> going out on their own. New Year's That's resolution. Right. I'm not going to take it anymore. Um, some folks may have just found out that their, you know, their their companies are downsizing yeah. or going away. Uh, is there ever any right time? To start a business, is there is there a reason that somebody might wait to jump in? They, I, I would say um, they would just probably really want to learn more. You know, um, now is because that goes with the the point of it is it's like when is the right time to have a baby? And so we've both seen the family with all the books. And those of us who have children, like, yeah, those books for me this much in the real world. So, but that's fair. You know, if you if you want to if you want to look at the market, you want to see what, what opportunities are. And that's the thing. The right if if you have, you know what, I want to open up a, a cupcake company selling little miniature cupcakes, and you're good at home, but you have no idea who else is doing it. What you know, what will the market yield? That's fine. Now, once you have that data. Okay, and if you don't have no money to do it, sure, that's why you can't get into the market. Once you have the money, you have some knowledge, test it. Test it. You have to get out there in the market. Outside of that, because I'm using my own experience, um, once I understood I was able to clearly define the, my demographic, my service I was going to provide, then I got into the market. But also, I was willing to adapt to what the trends were showing me. Also, you know, I thought first I was only going to be just a regular guy. Hey, I, I actually what we called the consultant or the self-employed. Hey, I'm going to do it. I want to be the guy you go to, and I'll provide accounting services. Didn't come out like that. I did forensic. Now I'm doing financial services. So you you also you know, and and I, and I think some entrepreneurs have this fixed uh, idea that. 
you, your ego cannot be stuck in your business plan or what you believe the market wants. You may have, you may make, it's interesting because I used to go to a lot of music back in the day and you may think, you know, you're the background singer and someone hears you and say, no, no, this guy, yeah, you're, 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 you're okay, but we want this guy to be the lead singer. That's how you have to understand, you know, the, the business uh, world also. Well, I'll use your cupcake shop analogy mm-hmm. because we, a couple blocks from here at Benjamin's desk where we're recording, uh, was the first Philly outpost of Crumbs. The yeah, cupcake yeah, yeah. bakery out of New York City, which pretty famously raised, I want to say, in the neighborhood of six or seven million dollars in venture capital, and then almost within two years went <laughs> bankrupt, went went done. Wow! And um, it ended up getting so devalued that stock went to the pink sheets. It went to maybe a penny a share. <laughs> And Marcus, not laughing. Marcus Lemonis from The Prophet, that TV show on CNBC, yeah. the guy that runs Good Sam, the, yeah. the RV play, uh, bought it, like bought all the shares, probably with what I think he had like on his gold card. Yeah. <laughs> um, with the idea of merging that with one of his other companies. Uh, the, the thing there is it wasn't that necessarily Crumbs had a bad product mm-hmm. or even bad execution. It was that you were trying to build a nationwide cupcake company in the the shadow of Starbucks and in kind of bucking the trend, which was toward healthier lifestyle and healthier eating. Good point. Um, Whereas we see Nicole Marquis, Mm -hmm. who's who's the next door neighbor to what used to be Crumbs, Mm -hmm. started a thing called Hip City Veg, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is now expanding to multiple locations. It's all uh, vegan. Yeah. Vegan fast food. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, have you been in there? Yeah. Um, so the uh, it's it's burgers and fries, but none of, like there's no meat yeah. in any of their stuff, and okay. that's the kind of thing where you see that business rapidly yeah. expanding because it was the right time for her because she was able to catch that trend, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and crumbs right next door. You know, you would think, hey, we could capitalize. All these people are lined up around the block for the vegan mm-hmm. burgers to that's, get, that's, get a cupcake after. Yeah. No, it wasn't that they're like walking right by there because that was not part of the trend. So it seems like it's that combination of having the research and the knowledge, knowing the market and being willing to experiment. The Mm -hmm. idea that now you can kind of put yourself out there. Uh, I love a book by Chris Gillibo called The $100 Startup, Mm -hmm. which is the the premise Mm -hmm. is, with the right knowledge and just $100, you can create a company and the hmm. company can thrive. Interesting. Um, Interesting. You don't need to sit back and wait for somebody to come along and give you a million dollars in venture yeah. capital because yeah. that's not happening. Yeah. Like it's not, I think we run into folks that sometimes think this is Shark Tank in real life. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that they've got a great idea and someone's going to write them this big check. Yeah. And the reality of that is the moment you get that check from the investor, all the pressure just went up by yeah. a factor yeah. of ten. Uh, Facebook, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so um, not not everybody needs mm-hmm. to be Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, right. Um, and we know the data shows us that uh, there's so much opportunity for companies that are in the high six figure range, mm-hmm. low seven figure range. Yeah. But it's understanding that distinction between. 
I am a freelancer that's going to deliver a service mm-hmm. versus I am a person that coaches other freelancers mm-hmm. or creates a bench of talent yeah. that, you know, that talent may be the best at what they do in that service delivery mm-hmm. and have no desire to do the other elements yeah. of the business. Yeah. And I think that's the piece of talent that's, development. That's, that's like you're, well you're looking yeah. for people that absolutely resonate with you in every way other than they want no piece of the sales. I like how you said funnel. that too. They yeah. want no piece of yeah. any, that, that stuff. Just I, I've had people on my teams over the years where like taking somebody, taking the cliche is you take an engineer on a sales call and you see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> don't want any yeah, and, of and, that. And, and I've come to you and I, I have come to you. I said, and, and cause it's interesting. And you gave me guidance regarding, you know, having my sales people, sales gentlemen, you know, do I really want them to learn the, do I really need to hire an accountant to do sales? Yeah. Probably not. I need a guy who can speak the language of, who understands uh, what are the threats and the concerns of having your own company. Yep, absolutely. And send them out there. There's a whole different world than that, and they get it. And, 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 and he comes, bring me back a signed contract, and, and, and then I move it over to operations. And, and that segues really nicely into next week's episode, which is going to be all about risk and compliance. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take two areas that normally you hear about from very dry business school professors, and we're going to make this fun and interesting for folks. So take a risk, join us next week. And uh, once again, for the Offsite Podcast, I'm Joe Taylor Jr. Darnell Suleiman, thank you again so much. Thanks, Joe. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions stated represent those of the speakers and not those of their employers, the producers, 2820 Press, or any program sponsors. This podcast does not constitute legal, business, or financial advice, nor should you take any action on anything you hear during this podcast without consulting a competent advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or blog. This has been a 2820 Radio Production.